Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 25. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it understand the warning that our Lord has spoken. In our world today, on an average day, three to four church buildings are either burned or attacked or vandalized. And seven Christians will be detained or arrested for their faith. And 11 more will be killed just because they claim Jesus as their Lord. We live in a nation where people are free to express their opinions about politics or about religion, about God. And when it comes to American Christianity, there are many ideas floating out there about who Jesus is and, and what the Christian faith should look like. People want a God who thinks and acts like them. And they want a religion that places themselves on the moral high ground. Yet when you leave our, our nation, a nation full of rights and privileges, and when you look at the state of Christianity in places that are harsh and unforgiving, that's where you see the truth about who Jesus is and what it takes to be his disciple. For when a person has to put their life on the line for Christ, they, they, they tend to be more honest with the Word of God. For they have, they have nothing to gain in creating their own religion or their own Jesus. And so when they come to a text of Scripture like the, the, the one we just read, they aren't as shocked as we are. For the, for the Jesus that they find and the religion that He describes makes perfect sense in the hostile world that they live in. You see, when, when we read a chapter like Matthew 10, we, we, we find a Jesus that doesn't quite fit the mold of what we expect in a Messiah. And we find a, a Christianity that isn't as safe or as pleasant as we would like. Rather, it is both frightening and, and dangerous. This Jesus is not the Savior that we want. And He has a religion that we would not choose for ourselves. And yet, we too are called to be honest with the text. Matthew 10 is uh, the beginning of Jesus' second discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. It's where He sent out the twelve on His Gospel mission to the lost sheep of Israel. 
They were to go and, and proclaim the message of the kingdom, calling people to repentant faith in King Jesus. And if you recall, Christ had, had gifted these men with the authority to heal the sick and to, and to raise the dead and to cast out demons. And they were to proclaim His judgment as well. For, for, for those who received this message, God's peace would, would, would be upon them. But for those who, who rejected the kingdom, Jesus said it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of the Lord than for that city. And as Jesus was transitioning in his discourse from words of commissioning to words of warning, he said this. Look at Matthew 10, verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. These disciples were to be wise in their mission. They, they, they were not to intentionally put themselves in harm's way, and yet they could not remain silent either. The, the, the task at hand was a dangerous one. And so they needed to use as much wisdom as possible as they proclaimed this message of the kingdom. They needed to be shrewd. They needed to be innocent. Which, which leads into our passage for today, where, where Jesus will warn his disciples about the, about the trials that will eventually come their way. Jesus tells them plainly that this persecution will come from three different places. First, from the Jewish religious leaders. Second, from the state, or the, or the governmental authorities of the Gentiles. And finally, from within one's own family. Let's look at this first group in verse 17, the, the Jewish religious leaders. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. What Jesus is describing here is the way that, that the Jews on a, on a local level would handle matters of law and discipline. These councils were, were made up of the elders of the synagogues. They, they, they were respected men of the community holding sway among the people. They were the ones who, who would judge local disputes and mete out punishment when necessary. And yet because they were underneath Roman law, they really didn't have the authority to, to execute a man if someone did such a serious crime. And so when, when those more serious crimes came about, they, they, they would practice flogging instead. To flog someone was to, to, to whip them 26 times on the back and 13 times across the chest. It was the, the, the 40 lashes minus one. And eventually, this is exactly what happened to these disciples. When we look at the book of Acts, we see the, the punishment that the Jewish council gave to the apostles for preaching, preaching the gospel of Christ. Look at Acts 5, verse 40. It says this, His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. We see another example of this in the life of the apostle Paul. In his letter to the Corinthians, we discover that he had been flogged five different times. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. What we see going on here is not mob violence. 
Rather, it is a localized judicial action against the proclamation of the gospel. These were Jews using their, their local authority in order to persecute other Jews. But as the kingdom of God would continue to grow into the Gentile world, so would the oppression around them. Look at verses 18 through 20. On my account, you will, be, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. These kings and these governors were the, the Roman leaders who were put in charge of the different territories of the, of the Roman Empire. We see an example of this, again, in the, in the life of Paul. When Paul was arrested in, in the book of Acts, he was brought before King Agrippa. And we, we see this ordeal in Acts chapter 26, and it's there that, that what Paul does when he's before this king is he, he gives his own testimony of Christ. He, he spoke of his conversion and, and of the hope that he has in the, in the resurrection that can only come through Jesus. And then look what happens in verse 24. Paul had just given his testimony, and then Festus speaks up. It says this, At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today will become what I am except for these chains. What was Paul's concern here? Was it for his own safety? For his own life? No. He, what he was troubled by was the lost state of those who were judging him. You see, the, the, the persecution that, that Paul faced was, was brought about in order for him to give a witness of the gospel before governors and kings. And just as Jesus promised, it was his Holy Spirit who used Paul's voice to speak the truth about Jesus. This same spirit that resided within Paul resides in you as well. There is a comfort when you are on mission for God that no matter what your circumstances may be, the Spirit of God himself goes before you. But sometimes the, the, the hardest form of perse persecution doesn't come from people in high positions. Rather, it comes from those who are closest to you. Look at verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Here we see the third group of people that, that will persecute those who hold fast to the message of Christ. 
members of one's own family. They say that nothing's thicker than blood, but obviously that's not the case. Brother betraying brother, a father his child, a child his parents, even to the point of death. This is the ultimate betrayal. We live in, who live in a land of freedoms and rights, we, we don't see the kind of persecutions that, that Jesus was talking about here. There's no one being arrested or being flogged or, and certainly not put to death. Sure, we hear stories of things like this taking place in other parts of the world like North Korea or, or China or, or Pakistan. But those things are they're, they're far away. They're distant. They happen to people that we don't know. And yet, that being the case, I'm guessing that there's many of you here today that can relate to this last verse. That there is someone in your own family who is at odds with your Christian faith. Because of what you believe, they have become antagonistic. Maybe you have a brother that, that reviles you. Or maybe a child that is rebellious. Maybe your own parents have disowned you. And while, while these things may, may seem light when compared to, to what's happening to others around the world and what they face each day, it, it doesn't mean that these things aren't painful. Because they are. And, and the reason they hurt is because of the source of, from where they come. Being rejected by, by family is a hard pill to swallow. And yet Christ, he understands your pain and can relate to your hurt. Look at Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. When it came to the message of the kingdom and, and who Jesus claimed to be, there was even division within his own family. But the true family of God are those who do the will of their Father in heaven. So yes, following Jesus may cause deep family hurt, but you are not alone. For Christ has provided with you, provided for you a new home and a new family, one that is thicker than blood. But, but why this rejection? Why does the message of Christ bring about such hostility? Jesus answers this question in our next verse. Look at, look at verse 22. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. They will hate you because of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. How can anyone hate Jesus? Isn't he supposed to be about all about love and forgiveness? Doesn't he preach a message of peace and joy? How could anyone hate that? They don't. 
It's only when you read the other parts of his message, the parts that, that call for repentance and submission, that people begin to get angry. Listen, if your Jesus is this Americanized Jesus, the, the tame Jesus, then no one's going to hate you. But if you worship the true Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible, this, this Christ that we find in Matthew chapter 10, then what you will discover is that he is a polarizing figure. He is a king who, who demands loyalty that creates divisions between brothers and sisters and parents and children. He is, a, he is a judge who brings to account the sins of all people, things that, that will cause a calm man to be filled with rage and violence. And it's because of who Jesus is and what he stands for that all men will hate you, for he demands allegiance from all men. Jesus spells this out for us in, in John's Gospel. Look at chapter 15, verse 18. It says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Dear friends, what you have to realize is that there is a, a battle being waged between two kingdoms. There is the world that says that you are your own master. And then there is the kingdom of God that says that Jesus is king. These two kingdoms cannot coexist. As a Christian, you have a, a new master who is Christ. And the world hates you for that. Why? Because they hate the true Jesus. Even so, you are called to stand firm in your faith. You are called to be a rock till the end. But standing firm doesn't mean acting foolishly. Remember, you, you are to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Look at, look at our next verse, verse 23. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Here, Jesus gives advice on how to handle such oppression. They, they were not to remain idle when, when the persecution began, became too heavy. Instead, they were to be wise and to flee. And yet, they were to stay on mission as well. They were to go from city to city, spreading the message of, this, of the kingdom. Persecution is one way that God scatters the seeds of his kingdom. He uses tribulation to, to move his subjects in order that the good news will be declared far and wide. In order that all will have the chance to hear that Jesus died for their sins and that he rose from the dead three days later. Look at Acts chapter 8 verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, the, the, the church had been stuck in Jerusalem, but God had bigger and greater plans for them. 
And so he used the stoning of Stephen and the, and the zealous persecution of Saul to spread the church out so that they would, they, would, they would preach the word of God to others and that many would come to salvation. The mission of the church has not changed. We are called to go and, and bring the gospel to a lost world. And if we become stagnant in our task, I wouldn't put it past God to increase persecution, even in a nation such as ours, in order to fan the, fan the flames, allowing his kingdom to grow. Brothers, sisters, we do not shrink back when, when, when tribulation hits. But we press forward with both the wisdom and the courage that, that, that Christ possessed when he too was persecuted. Look at our last two verses. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? You see, if, if, you are, if you are hated, it is because of who your master is. It is because of the one whom they called Beelzebub. It is because of the man who, who they treated as a criminal when they mocked and flogged him. It is because of the God whom they nailed to a tree in view of everyone, allowing him to hang there until he was dead. It is because of Jesus the one who died for your sins, that they will hate you as well. Yet when Jesus faced his tormentors, he did so with courage, knowing that the trials that he endured were for the good of others and for the glory of his Father. His focus was not upon himself, but upon those he loved and upon his Father in heaven. And that should be your focus as well when you suffer trials and, and persecution. Your motivation should be for the salvation of the lost. And your hope should be in King Jesus. I think the prophet Micah sums it up pretty well. Look at Micah 7 verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we come to a passage like this and we find it troubling. And yet, this is a, the mission that you've called us to. Help us to both be wise and, and to be bold, knowing that your Holy Spirit goes before us. Help us to fix our eyes on the lost of this world and, and to put our hope in, in your salvation that, that only comes through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.